Great. Hi, Andy. It's great to Hello. be back again, uh, talking again about this month's research and some interesting nuggets that we found. Um, I believe you're talking to us from um, Italia. I am indeed. I am. I'm very lucky to be here for a few weeks uh, working, but soaking up the sun. Very nice. What better place to have a monthly research conversation from? <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, actually, it's been very good to you know have a different perspective on the world. You know, when you go somewhere different, you see it from a different angle. So uh, I'm hoping that will inform some of my thinking. Interesting is the, is the, the the approach we're taking to uh, the research uh, from this month, hopefully sharing a bit of a different angle. A, a slightly go. different thought. So uh, have we got three this month to talk about? We have. We've got three. So we're going to start with a conversation around the, the Great Resignation, which was an ah, article yeah, okay. in uh, the Harvard Business Review, uh, authored by Head of HR at Unilever. So that'll be an interesting one. Then a new book called uh, Golden, The Power of Silence. So talking about silence um, in a busy, crazy world. And then finally, some insights from Ron Howard, the filmmaker, um, around saying yes and no. So some really interesting topics um, to get stuck into this week. Very nice. Can't wait. Um, where are we starting? Well, well, how about we start with the great resignation? And the the topic here really was um, the head of HR at Unilever proposing a rethink of the great resignation and calling it the great exploration and saying yes, what nice. they're actually seeing is not people just leaving, but but the the lockdown and COVID and the sort of the stop that happened and um, whilst we all went into hibernation or whatever we did through COVID actually has given people an opportunity to think and reflect about what they want. And there's an opportunity for employers to engage with that process and actually try to help their staff work through it um, in order to potentially retain them or at least gain some understanding about what's going on for them. That's a bit of a theme of our conversation this month, actually, isn't it? You know, engaging, conversation, connection, Yes. space to think um so 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 let's kind of touch back on that as we go through i really like this article actually i i think we're, we're just just skirt over the uh, very wise suggestion that you should have one-on-one -on -one conversations with your team and get to know them a bit so that, that, that was quite fun. <laughs> seems a shame to wait till they leave to do that doesn't it <laughs> let's let's do that well well we'd wholeheartedly encourage that all the way through the uh, <laughs> tenure of your people. Um, get to know them, be interested in them, and you never know, maybe they won't leave in the first place or think yeah. about leaving. Um, but exploration was really interesting, wasn't it? So this idea that, um, and I think, you know, we've got, we can't not talk about bias when we talk about exploration. And I was sort of hooking this into something like design thinking, the empathy phase, and, and one of the biggest challenges is trying to look at something with really fresh eyes, trying to look at something without, you know, and hold your bias in check. And of course, if you're thinking you want to leave an organization, then you've got a whole bunch of sort of stuff built up to give you a pretty, pretty fixed point of view, I think, possibly. Yes, yes. No, I think that's a good point. And so I think you'd mentioned that actually, if, if an employer is able to coach somebody who's thinking about leaving to really try and turn around not what are you leaving from, but what are you going to, or what is it that you're seeking? You can mm. help them to try to see whether there are opportunities within the organization that might deliver that, where they don't feel they're currently getting what they need. 
Agree. And so that sort of, as you say, coaching 101, you know, if, if someone's fixating on everything that's broken, not working, uh, the issues, the problems, then the very first question you ask is, well, what what is working? What, what you know, where can we start from that's a kind of a positive base? So I think this idea of exploring together, helping someone make a really balanced decision, because as uh, the article suggested, the, the, you know, Headspace talks about the boomerang um, employees coming back, having experienced the wide world in other organisations and bringing so much more back. So actually, it shouldn't be the end of the chapter, really, uh, if someone does leave. But that relationship that you build before they do sort of says everything about the likelihood of them coming back with, with more than just the IP that they built in your organisation. Ah, you see, that's a really, I think that's a really interesting opportunity and and actually keeps keeps ideas fresh within the organization, right? By bringing in new insights from people who've gone and come back. It, it can be seen as a positive as opposed to a negative, people slinking back, but more being welcomed back with a new perspective. Yeah, that's right. And there were some great examples of organizations that seem to do it really, really well and actually celebrate the fact that somebody's kind of going out there looking elsewhere. And, you know, I know from my own experience, if I was treated with dignity and kind of left with grace and celebration, the likelihood of me returning would be much higher. Um, the, the last thing was the comment on flexibility I thought was really interesting. And, and it sort of comes back to a previous conversation we've had around hybrid working. And, you know, if, if there's a question around whether we should have flexibility in the organisation or not, I just think we're asking the wrong question. We're not focusing on the conditions for success in order to thrive we're looking at this sort of list of perhaps slightly outdated sort of conditions that we inflict on the organization and and of course if we can focus on well we we all get really clear about what we're here to do um, what is the best possible way we could organize ourselves including the fact that we have home lives and we're parents or friends or partners, um, yeah. how can we set ourselves up for success? So I, I really liked seeing that idea of flexibility being key because you, you know nowadays you want to be in an organisation that actually cares about you as a whole human as opposed to just your output while you're at work. Yes, I totally agree. And I think it's been interesting to see, certainly in the UK, we're seeing a real schism. There are some organisations that are saying you need to come back to work full time. And our, go and our parliament indeed also saying everybody has to be back all the time and well, you're another party i think so everybody <laughs> needs to be face to face <laughs> and so it really i guess it just means you choose your employer right so you know what you're getting but that's a, that's another part of the offering that you're getting yeah absolutely um and there's a link here isn't there to um i think i'm possibly jumping when we can come back but ron howard's uh interview around yeah. saying well, yes let's to jump to that one let's go there Be yeah. because i think there's a real again our theme is kind of relationships and, and connection really isn't it and yes. so this idea of building a relationship with someone where what i read into it was creating psychological safety so you know if you say yes and you encourage someone to be more innovative and think for themselves and offer insight and solutions um, then you create a completely different dynamic in your team, in your relationship. And, you know, so it's not a parent-child relationship where I always think 
saying no is like you know am i allowed can you <laughs> yes or no it's, it feel, yes. feels very parental it doesn't feel adult to adult reciprocal highly effective relationship really no i i think you're absolutely right and it's um and it's interesting because what Ron Howard is really saying is I, I don't have all the answers. I know I'm, you know, in this case, the director and I'm supposed to own the story, but actually other people can contribute to that and they might have better ideas or different ideas. And sometimes I might say, no, I really am convinced that this is the way to go. But if I've listened and heard and engaged other people and allowed them to contribute at other times, as you say, there's a psychological safety there, which means they can challenge me and they can say, look, I think this would be better. And, you know, his goal in the end, I think, is to make a great film, not to make his film. Absolutely. Perhaps that's the difference. Yeah. And, you know, it speaks to the heart of what we believe in that, you know, teams are the missing middle um, in any organisation. And, and the very nature of teaming is that we work brilliantly together. And so this idea of working out, well, how can we learn, build, innovate, together from each other to get a better outcome is exactly where it's at the other thing it puts me in mind of is um people may be familiar with human synergistics they run a um couple of uh sort of diagnostics and, and notably lifestyles inventory or leadership impact and one of the things i always think about in leadership impact when you when you're looking at leadership strategies that you can employ to be effective um, the research that Human Synergistics has done suggests that uh, ratio of three to one. And, and what's interesting is its frequency, not the strength to which. And, and so... Um, three, three to one positive to negative. Yeah, and they'd say uh, prescriptive, which is sort of the positive, as in, you know, examples would be what we do want, uh, what good looks like, yeah. how we should be behaving against one times as often frequency what we don't want what bad looks like and it just put me in mind of that you know that there's a sort of a ratio of yes to no uh, yes. it's probably around the same sort of uh, numbers that three times more often we should be saying yes let's do it let's um try that let's um yes. you know really give it a go be experimental but what the research absolutely says is it's not saying you should never say no, or it's not saying you should never point out what's wrong. Just do the prescriptive stuff three times more often, and that's yes. the effective. So, so that was a real link for me. And I think if we could all think, oh, yeah, okay, so how, how do I do that? I mean, maybe, maybe it would work with our kids as well. I don't know. But <laughs> more likely in the workplace, I think. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, but I think you're right that the... that. You know, whenever you ask people for feedback, on the whole, people just immediately assume that means negative, right? What have I done wrong? What are, you know? And actually, turning around our perspective that actually, when we work together, it's okay to say, "Yeah, that's really good. That's really positive. Or that's a great idea. I hadn't thought of that. Or this is where I'd like us to be going." Um, and save the negatives for when you really need them, as opposed to just because you're in charge and you feel like you should. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, saying no kind of breeds dependence, really doesn't it, when you think about it, 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 you know, saying no or saying yes, it, it's sort of an interesting concept in itself. If we're building a reciprocal adult conversation, we kind of agree stuff together. Do we think we should do this? So, so it's actually, is it really the director's job to be the kind of, you know, oh, I, I deem that to be a good thing to do. I 
say no to that. It sort of just feels weird. Um, yes, so yes. I think we're promoting reciprocal relationships that you know amplify the good stuff we can do together. Which um, fits so brilliantly with teams of teams, doesn't it? Where when you're moving from running one team to working in a network of multiple teams, you need to scale the leadership behaviors and the leadership impact and you can't do that if everybody's coming to you for a yes no you're just you become the bottleneck and that's what we see often in organizations is that the team leaders become the bottlenecks when actually the reverse should be the case and they should be the enablers of information flows of decision making across that network in fact the leader's role in that circumstance kind of moves away being responsible or overseeing a team and, and moves to be responsible for the multi-teams in the system. So they're actually scanning, looking for opportunities to connect other people to build reciprocal relationships as opposed to it being that kind of hub and spoke type uh, setup. So I, I think, you know, to take your idea even further, absolutely, you have to completely change the way in which you think that you should be operating as a leader and, and change your very purpose because what you're promoting is people going off and building relationships without you and yeah. being really effective in doing that. So you're not involved in everything. So you couldn't yes. be saying yes or no anyway. Yes, yes. Which, of course, takes a degree of confidence, right? A confidence in yourself and a confidence in others that you allow them to go ahead and do things and believe that they'll do it right or do it with a good intent. I think so. The, the last thing that um, in the article, you know, very very humbly ron howard said you know other directors do it really differently have made great movies and it put me in mind of something um somebody said to me once and used steve jobs as an example that actually good research doesn't actually look at well that individual was really successful let's that must let's look at what they did and therefore our conclusion is that's what good leadership looks like it actually looks at What's everybody doing, and what seems to be the recurring theme in the, um, you know, the sort of outputs of all these behaviours? And yeah. so, if you come back to Steve Jobs, you know, the, the sort of the lazy research version would be to look at Steve Jobs and go, "Well, he's really successful, so that's obviously what good leadership looks like." And I think we know yeah. <laughs> that's probably not the case. Right, but um, he had a crowd of people around him making good all the awful, awful yeah. relationship. A genius with a great idea does not necessarily make a great leader. But anyway, I, yeah. you know, that's the other thing it sort of got me thinking about. Um, and the final piece. Yes, it takes us nicely to silence, knowing when to actually zip it. Um, so this is an interesting book, which full disclosure, neither of us have read. We've read an article um, about the book, um, which was written by um, some folks at Duke Medical um, and one, one of the writers actually was a, a US congressman. Um, and it's really talking about the power of silence in an ever-changing, ever-noisy world. So, Andy, talk to me with your own particular perspective from your childhood. Yes, so uh, you're obviously referring to the fact I grew up a Quaker. So people who don't know, um, you know, Christian religion, but instead of... Um, you know, worship being sort of full of conversation, sermon, singing, it's actually in silence. And so for me, from a very young age, I found myself alone with my own thoughts and nothing else to distract me apart from, you know, maybe the the beetle on the floor or, or you know, my, my own thinking. So I think that 
de- definitely developed uh, an aspect of my um, person and certainly the work that um, we do in LIW as uh, facilitators because I, I often marvel at this idea of filling the silence when I think, my goodness, there's so much going on. How could you possibly put anything more in? Um, <laughs> and so early on, recognise the fact that silence is this amazing gift and of course we're not talking as as per the, the book we're not talking just about uh, auditory silence yes we're talking yes. about the fact that increasingly um we are distracted and i thought that mind-boggling stat uh, you know from i think it was oh, google yes uh, saying that we are on a daily basis creating the amount of information from the dawn of civilization up to 2003 but that's happening every day it's kind of like wow that's a lot that's a lot of noise yes and so and for those of us who've been in the workforce for a couple of decades a few decades it feels like it doesn't it there is a real up in in the amount of information that we get served every day so we are constantly i mean the world is noisy absolutely um but certainly from a information overload point of view we are constantly distracted so breeding a practice of being able to create some calm space amongst that noise that kind of white noise almost seems like an incredibly valuable um, skill to have and of course it comes directly back for me Otto Sharma uh, who wrote um, Theory U says something really cool I think about um, listening being one of the most valuable skills in leadership yet the least demonstrated by leaders and so there's something attached there about if we could just be quiet and do something else with that silence than feeling like we need to fill it then there's probably a huge amount to be gained from that not least our ability to listen and understand which kind of brings us all the way back to the thoughts about the great exploration um you know if we can just listen and understand we might just learn something and be able to make some conscious choices yes i i I absolutely agree and i think it also comes back to the hybrid working in that quite often what we've heard from people is that that day a week two days a week that you work from home you can find a quiet space whereas in the office there's always someone tapping you on the shoulder could you just can we just you know whereas you can actually create some space and some time for yourself when you're in a different environment and even boldly you know we I know we've started doing walking meetings so you you know you walk in the countryside and you talk with a different perspective I think all of these things are really refreshing and hopefully helping us to have some to as you say bring a little quiet into into a sort of crazy busy life so it fits kind of directly in the first two of our four leadership practices um this idea of cultivating the ability to be present aware focused and then the build on that is cultivating our ability to be truly curious with uh holding our bias and our judgment and being able to collect clean data with which we can make great decisions together and so that feels like a really fitting kind of summary of the three articles in many ways that the idea that if we actually take the time and care to build respectful reciprocal relationships within which we focus much more on listening and learning then surely together we can do something special 
I love that. What a brilliant way to finish. And what a grown-up way to work. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Thanks, Julia. Thanks, Andy. I think that was really, really useful. And really, hopefully our listeners are enjoying that. I hope so too. I will see you next month. Excellent.